iced tea. Go a cappella. Now I'm on the West Coast, relaxing and chill, living on the mead streets of Beverly Hill. I have I love I, it. you way better than a lot of rappers that are making yes. records right now. She is Olivia Munn. Drop my name as much as you can. By the way, I am a first class name dropper. The great legendary John Madden, and then on the phone, Steve Marriott. She's <laughs> I, mean, I mean, that's the thing. You watch a guy. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Where's Where's that? That? Kelly like... <laughs> Mooch, how did you sniff that out so quickly? I I don't download many podcasts, but when I do, I prefer the Rich Eisen Podcast. Here's your host, Rich Eisen. Welcome to the latest edition of the Rich Eisen Podcast, coming to you on the eve of preseason week number two, preseason week number one in the books, and uh, it comes in a forgettable style. Cowboys three, Raiders nothing. Ooh. That's why they want to play only two preseason games in the NFL, people. <laughs> I like how they left uh, the Cowboys starters in long. They were so bad. Uh, Rich Eisen along with Chris Brockman, my television podcast producer, and doing, Chris Law, my media side, I guess, my my You're all-encompassing, my all-encompassing producer. producer. You are the jack of all trades, sir, as you're getting set to go to New York for your fantasy football week. Yes. With the Fantasy Football Live guys in New York City, right? Where yeah. Are gonna be? Where yep. are gonna We're going to be at the Best Buy Theater in Times Square. There you go. Uh, Come on Wednesday by and Friday. basically hold your draft with, with you and, and the rest of the NFL Fantasy Live crew and Marshall and Eddie George and some other Absolutely. famous Taylor, football players some... will be part of, you know, what, what better way to do that? And, um, of course, uh, hang out with the NFL Media and NFL.com Fantasy Group. And next week we're going to have our fantasy special with Damashek and Adam, Adam Rank, Rank and, and Michael, Michael Fabiano. Fabiano. Yep, those guys are going to stop by. That'll and... be great. We'll have that before you guys head to New York. Yep. That'll be good. Um, and earlier this week, we broke down the AFC North with Brian Billick on this show, the NFC East. Yes. With, with the Cowboys having played the most recent preseason game with Michael Lombardi. Um, we'll have uh, Lombo on, on the show. Um, before we get to that, a uh, I know Maurice Jones-Drew is holding out still, but a, a major blow, a major blow to the uh, potential uh, future of uh, Rich Eyes and Podcast Dances. Oh, the news that came from, down. From uh, Maurice Jones-Drew. What was as it? As you know, as he's performed Touchdown Dances uh, 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 in honor of this show, and also uh, he's taken requests. That Mike Malarkey trying to, I guess, create a uh, no iron team mentality, even though I, I don't think touchdown celebrations celebrate the iron team. It's just fun. Yes. Fun stuff. When done, within, when done within the, you know, accordance of the rules. But at any rate, he's donating $250 to the Ronald McDonald House locally for every touchdown his team scores. That does not include a celebration. Is that Brockman Lombardi breathing on their mics? Oh, right I there. think this mic is really, really, very yes, sensitive. really sensitive. Very sensitive. Really sensitive. Or you're just a heavy Turn breather. Turn your dial down. You got to dial down. Yeah, you're I don't think breather. I'm really that heavy of a breather. But but anyway, I mean, obviously it'll go. Cut. It'll be a good cause. It'll be a good cause of uh, of charitable raising. But in terms of the Maurice Jones Drew dance, if he com- when he comes back, I mean. That's I think we should still call up Jones Drew and have him do it, and maybe we donate, donate the, the charity, money. The, the, the Eisen podcast. But that sort of undercuts the coach's stance. I mean, well, it's double the donation. That'd be rough. Well, it's, well I, actually, what that's called is a win-win. A win-win doesn't matter, yeah, of course. But it, you know, he's trying to promote. Some, I mean, that's us messing well, with his business. Oh, that's true too. MJD's got to be on the field in order to get in the end zone. Though. That's true. I'm confident as a Maurice Jones Drew fantasy owner that he's going to be out on the field this year. 
Let's hope so. Fingers across. We're going to ask that of our Fantasy Live guys next week. Yeah, we'll definitely hit on that and a ton more, I'm sure. Right. So there's that going on. Uh, anything else we need to talk about before we get to Lombo? No. Right? I think I think we're let's we're, get we're getting we're getting to him quick here. Yeah, let's get to him. Let's get, get a get long to conversation quick. about the NFC East. Yeah, about the NFC East. Let's get to it. He is none other than our general manager on staff and a longtime friend of this program, Michael Lombardi. How are you, sir? I am doing well, Rich. I, I hope we are handicapping the Apollo this week on Thursday in Siena, but I don't think we will. Uh, we are not. We are oh, not. But th- that is Siena uh, in Italy is one of the greatest places on planet Earth, uh, <laughs> and and you and I talk about it all the time because it's it's an incredible spot. And the Palio is 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 what uh, James Bond, the movie James, the the last Casino Royale, opened with. Oh, you know? I need to watch that. I didn't. Hey, know did that. you not know that? Yeah, the horse race at the that. beginning of of the Casino Royale reboot. Yeah, I'm, that's I'm, good stuff. I need to get that. You know what did not look like the Palio, Michael yeah, uh, yes. Lombardi? Uh, the Monday night football game between the no. Cowboys and the Raiders did not look like uh, anything resembling anything good. That was, and, I've, and I, you know, I've been there before, and I and I wrote a column for NFL.com. Here's a shameless plug, but please, where preseason is so much, you know, tends to be overrated, and you look for parts of your team. But I think that game really was the essence of both teams really have a lot of work to do. Those were both ki- both teams in the fourth grade. Their homework assignment would have been do overs. <laughs> so uh, as we as we begin to break down the NFC East, I mean, what what do we make of? Uh, well, let's first talk Raiders, even though we're not AFC West. Before we get to the NFC East, uh, what what do we make of what we saw out of that? Because this is a whole new a whole new ball game, you know, with Coach Allen in the mix now and no Mr. Davis to give marching orders to offensive coaches and no, no, I guess, presence lording over everything, including when the game's being played. Is this, is this just an adjustment that needs to be made or everybody, you know, is just uh, going about their business in a new way? Well, I think everybody go about their business in a new way, and I think clearly Reggie McKenzie, the general manager, has complete authority to do the job, and he's given Coach Allen the chance to do his job. So, for you know, without anybody coming in outside interfering, having philosophy within the philosophy, so that'll work. But I think the Raiders' concerns have to be: Are they good enough at corner? Uh, you know, those two corners they signed, Spencer and Bartrell, are they going to be good enough to really play and then be able to blitz and do the things they want to do? And, and I think really, you know, offensively, where is Carson Palmer? I know uh, Coach Gruden was talking very positively about him on Monday Night Football the other night, but, you know, it's the same Carson Palmer. It's the same, you know, good two good plays, one bad, and it's a turnover. And I think the Raiders are going to be a little bit like the Eagles last year. Either they make explosive plays and score quickly, or the longer the period, the longer the drive goes, the less, the, the more likely they'll make a mistake. And then, so what do we do with the Cowboys now? Let's start with our NFC East preview with you, Michael Lombardi. Well, starting with the Cowboys, I, I think the Cowboys have two really cons- huge concerns, and most of them start on offense. The offensive line has got to somehow get configured, become better, uh, and, and really start to function much better. And so, therefore, you know, when you analyze football teams, Rich, especially at this time of the year, you analyze players, coaches, and scheme. And so ultimately what you want to achieve is have very good schemes, very good coaching, and just put it right down on the players and say, if we had a better this, we would be better. And I think that better this is they need a better third receiver. If they're going to run the offense that that Jason Garrett wants to run, which is very, I don't want to call it predictable, but very systematic in terms of his approach, they're going to need better players on the perimeter. And when Miles Austin isn't healthy and it's just Des Bryant, I don't think Ogletree or Harris – 
or anyone can really hold the fort down and produce. And then I think the offensive line becomes a real problem for them. So this is a team that functionally doesn't look very good offensively. And then defensively, you know, I, I think you have to give them a little bit more time, but, but certainly if their secondary is improved, I think they can carry them. But offensively, I'm really concerned about the Cowboys, particularly in their offensive line. Yeah, and, and not only that, I mean, we, we all know how Des Bryant uh, has the knack for disappearing after the first quarter, whether it's his, his mental approach or his, his physical training not really being up to snuff. Uh, Miles Austin already missed the first preseason game because of a hamstring injury. LaRon Robinson, who stepped into that four last year, is now on Jacksonville. So the question is, even if Romo is, is the Romo that we've come to know and, and love in Dallas, who, who's going to catch it from him, too, if he well, stays up? I mean, look, Romo has the worst skill players around him. If, if Bryant goes in and out, which he typically does, and Miles Austin isn't healthy, you know, there's not enough skill players around him to really help. Who's helping out Tony Romo? You know, I mean, Robert Griffin III has better skill players. New York has better skill players and certainly, you know, Philadelphia, we know that uh, Michael Vick has better ones. So I think, you know, the, the injury bug, the third receiver has got to be a concern. And I, and I really think this, too. I think Martellus Bennett not being there. I know John Phillips has been a good player for them, but Bennett gave him a strong side running game that's going to go to the Giants now. And I think they're going to miss him. I really think they will. I don't think he'll be, they'll, he'll be easily replaced, as the Cowboys once thought. Hmm. What do you make of Stephen Jones's comments before the first preseason game, where uh, that he backed away from uh, about Maurice Claiborne needing to play through some things? What do you make of that? Being a, a former general manager who's no doubt been frustrated when you use a high draft pick on somebody and he's not out on the field. Well, what you really like, and I think two of his key picks, Des Bryant and Miles Claiborne, they need to develop mental toughness, and that's what he's saying. Mental toughness allows you to create a situation in your mind where you can play through some discomfort, you can play through some pain. And I'm not saying play hurt. I'm saying every NFL player has pain and discomfort because of the game being so physical. And I think what Des Bryant happens to him, he gets frustrated, he loses focus, he loses concentration, and he lacks the competitive nature to continue on. And I think Mars, what he's saying with Mars Claiborne, don't fall into that trap. You've got to fight through these minor nicks and bruises to be a good player. It's not going to be perfect like it was at LSU. It's going to be hard. This is the NFL, and that's got to concern you. You want a mentally tough team. That's why the Giants, regardless of what their record is, is why they're able to win Super Bowls, because they are the most mentally tough team in the NFC East. And we'll get to them in a moment. The Cowboys schedule, too, six of the first nine on the road, including the opening night game in the defending Super Bowl champion Giants house. And that's always a difficult assignment. It's, it's, I mean, the Saints almost pulled off the, uh, the, the win on the road in that in situation in Green Bay a couple of years ago, um, or last season, obviously. Uh, but it's just 6-9 and nine on the road to start, even if everything does break the Cowboys' way offensively, defensively. That in itself is tough to overcome. Yeah, and I don't know if they have the good enough team to overcome it. I think, you know, look, they got, DeMarcus Ware is going to have to play well above his great play, which we know he's great. He's got to go up to Green Bay and dominate against whether it's Marshall Newhouse or whatever left tackle they put out there and create some turnovers. I think the only way the Cowboys are going to score the points to keep up with the great offenses, based on what I've seen so far of their offense, is to create short fields and then convert. I mean, look, the Cowboys gave away games last year, and I think Jason Garrett, 
The challenge for him as the head coach, he's got to step his play up. We talk about does Bryant improve him. We talk about Miles Austin. Everybody talks about Tony Romo. But I think Jason Garrett's got to take it to another level. And so far in the preseason, that game there, you know, I've seen stink bombs before being in the league, and that was a stink bomb. <laughs> Let's get to the Giants. Let's get to the Giants, where so many people believe that they're, uh, you know, even though they're defending Super Bowl champions, no one's talking about them. I mean, well, they have the Jets. I mean, that's the greatest thing about having the Jets is they take all the, they're, they're, the Jets are allow you to have the the punt team focus for them, the backup quarterback get focus for them, and 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 their offense. And so the Giants really, I don't think Tom Coughlin could have written a better script for how he would want his post-Super Bowl year to start off with. Is that right? You don't think that they're part of them? or I mean, part of them? I think it's a great motivating factor. I think any time you can create an us-against-them mentality, Mm -hmm. the Saints have it in New Orleans this year. I think the Giants use it to their full advantage. Hey, look, nobody here in New York even recognizes we're the best team. You know, they have a coach who talks all the time. We don't say anything. They have players that talk, and they have this quarterback who's on the punt team that gets that gets all the coverage in the world. So I think they enjoy it, and I think Tom Coughlin uses it to his to his full advantage. All right, so then now let's let's throw the spotlight on them and talk about uh, their roster and and the guys who are there. Uh, Nick's just uh, in between weeks one and two of the preseason came off of the pup list. And uh, it, it appears that he will be ready to go in week number one on the opening night if if everything goes well. Um, uh, other other than that, I know that uh, Terrell Thomas got hurt again, and and he was a guy that they had hoped to have back, but uh, he actually is one of those few people who did hear the three dreaded words, Doctor James and Andrews, and didn't go under the knife. Right. Um, so, what do you make of the Giants? They seem to have, even though they lost Manningham and Jacobs, everything in hand. Would you say that that is uh, an appropriate yeah, and, analysis? Know, and I think Adam Bennett is a huge upgrade for them. It'll help their strong side running game, something they didn't have last year. And adding David Wilson in the first round gives them another back that when Amar Bradshaw, who to me is a really good player uh, who happens to get hurt too often or get some bumps and bruises, even though he's mentally tough and can fight through them, I think it really helps to have another alternative. But they have good skill players. They've got a good scheme. They're mentally tough offensively. The offensive line's got to be the concern. They don't have depth there. This can really hurt them. But they fought their way through it. And look, the Giants win football games because their defensive front is dominant. They have multiple players that can come in and take over the game and control the tempo of the game. I mean, they've got eight defensive linemen that you have to block. And I think as they develop and and as they get going, when Terrell Thomas actually is healthy, whether he needs the surgery or not, their secondary is so reliant on their ability to rush and Jason Pierre-Paul is one of the top five players, non-quarterbacks at his position. So they have a dominant player on defense with a dominant depth on defense in the defensive line, and that's how they win games. Yeah, I know. So many teams in the league are are deficient on the defensive line. They're always looking for pass rushers, including you know their co-tenants are a perfect example of it, that John Abraham was pretty much the last pass rusher the Jets had that you had a game plan for uh, earlier in the week. And maybe the reason why that so few teams are deficient is because the Giants have all of them. Well, <laughs> and they, they collect them, and they have no problem admitting they're collecting them, and they get better with them, and they sign guys off the street that end up like Dave Tollison last year, who, who they took from the Raiders practice squad, who was a good player for them. And, you know, look, last year, Green Bay game, when you really go back and study the tape of the game, OCU Menorah makes the play of the game when he strips the ball out of Aaron Rodgers, which is going to be a touchdown. And the Packers will probably win the game at that point. But their defensive line makes plays at critical points in the game, and that's how they're able to win. And don't ever underestimate Eli Manning's mental toughness and his ability to make two or three throws a game 
that some people just don't make or some people have the willingness to make. Michael, I said this on WFAN, you know, the home of the, the birth of sports talk radio in, in this country. Um, I, I was on a couple weeks ago, and I said the three sports, New York sports jobs that are going to be the toughest to fill, to be the guy after the guy, it's the three following ones. Whoever's going to be closer for the Yankees after Rivera, shortstop for the Yankees after Jeter, and the quarterback for the Giants after Eli Manning. I firmly believe it. He yeah, is. I, I do too. I think he's a. You know, he's everything. What Ernie, of course, the general manager at the time, everything he was trade for. He's what he is. He's a winner. And you know, when you break him down as a player, as a scout, is his arm strength great? No, not at all. You know, forty-five yards, probably the max on his deep ball. But he's got gamesmanship. He's got toughness. And he's got that ability where the team rallies around him. And when the offense doesn't have a running game, he still can carry the offense. And he really has proven out to be an elite quarterback, which he told us all he was last year. Well, it's, he's the only, we say it, I've said it all the time, and I'm sorry if I'm repeating myself, but it bears repeating. He is the only quarterback in the league that does not get compared to previous quarterbacks in his own franchise. He's not compared to Sims. He's not compared to Dave Brown. He's not compared to Y.A. Tittle. He's not compared to anybody, right, from good or bad in the history right. of the Giants. He's compared to his brother, and he's compared to his brother, the Hall of Famer, first ballot, Mount Rushmore-type quarterback, and that's not fair. And I'll tell you what, we now, eight years into the Tom Coughlin era, with him together, they've got two which is one more than Peyton, and may wind up being one more than Peyton ever has. Right. And, and, and it bears mentioning. But we, we even had Billick on the podcast last week, and it, it, it's true, though. We went through the quarterbacks in the league. Uh, Breeze, Brady, you know, Aaron Rodgers, and, and various others that he went through. And Eli didn't come out of his mouth, you know? No, and, and, and you know, that's why. But all he does is win games. All he's able to do is make plays and... And he's selfless. He doesn't really try to seek the spotlight, and it never is about what his stats are. It's about how many plays he made at the end of the game to win the game for him. Right. And I think that's really what he does so well. Are you listening to I Love Lucy in the background? No, Michael, I don't know what, what happened to my... my the, no, uh, there you go. Something, some, something popped was up. That your phone? Was that your phone? No, my phone's... You know my phone. It rings the Godfather. I know it does read the Godfather right the there. Godfather I know you got the Godfather ringtone. I know. Very good. So... so uh, the the Eagles. Let's move to them right now, um, yeah. where a lot of people view the Eagles as a team that finished strong last year, and usually that does translate into the following playing season. They view the Eagles as a team that has a full year together with all the dream teamer, teamers minus Vince Young that were brought on the year before. They're going to be that much better and will rally around, obviously, their coach who is hurting uh, personally. The other way to look at it is that they are a team that still has a defensive coordinator who is a better offensive line head coach, uh, offensive line coach that the head coach is put in there because he's buddies with him, and that is a fatal flaw that the Eagles still will not be able to overcome in 2012. Where do you stand, Michael? Well, I think the, I think Juan Castile's challenge is, is, is still out there, and I think he's got a long way to go to, to really remove all our doubts. But I'm a little bit different here. I, I think the Eagles are a very, very thin line team, and I think that thin line starts and ends with Michael Vick. If Michael Vick isn't able to play 16 games, 60 minutes, which all indications are he won't be, even from the first preseason game where he injures his thumb, then the Eagles become just a regular team. They don't have the same effect because whether it's Mike Kafka 
or or anyone else playing quarterback for them, they're not going to be good enough to be able to do what they do offensively. They're not a methodical offense. They're an explosive big play offense, and the point guard of that explosion starts with Michael Vick. So it becomes very difficult. And for me to really say they're the team to beat, they're the one team, and there's evidence to prove that they are because they were 5-1 and one last year within the NFC East. So they've beaten every team. They can play with every team even when they only won eight games last year. But the reality is, where is Michael Vick's health? How is he going to be able to play? And can he play effectively? And I would caution people to really study Michael Vick. I think Michael Vick has ridden the crest of the second, the first time he started playing uh, two years ago when he took over for Kevin Cobb in the Packer game. And that ride, that wave he rode all the way through. But when you break him down after about eight games of that season and go through the season and a half, he hasn't demonstrated the elite level of quarterback that he gets recognized for that Eli never seems to ever have anybody talk about. And I think it's really more of a perception. It's what we call the validity of truth and, and, and the illusion of validity, essentially, because there's really no valid sense that Michael Vick is playing at the highest level now today when you watch and study the tape. Hmm. So where does that put him? What, what, well, I, I think it puts him as a dangerous team. They're, they're the kind of team that can go out there and, and really create some problems. But if you know where to play them, and I'll, I'll point out another thing, another instance with them. LaShawn McCoy is one of the best running backs in the league. But if you study his last eight games of the season, I believe he had two games over 100 yards. When teams understand how to defend them, and when teams understand how to defend the Eagles, it became a little bit more difficult for LaShawn McCoy to be the most productive player. Look, they beat Miami in Miami, but LaShawn McCoy couldn't gain a yard because the Miami Dolphins knew how to stop him. Now, they made enough plays in the passing game, and Michael Vick was better. But I think there's some concerns about the overall depth of the Eagle team in terms of quarterback and at running back. McCoy doesn't have anybody. Deion Lewis isn't going to be the running back uh, backup. So uh, I think there's the concerns. But the one thing the Eagles can do, and this is what makes them dangerous, is if they do get in the tournament, they are the perfect you know, one one game at a time uh, tournament team. They can win one at a time, and they get beaten by the pounding of the season, which affects them. So similar to the Giants being a tournament team in the playoffs. Right, exactly, although the Giants do it in a different style. They do it with mental toughness and grit. The Eagles can do it with tough matchups. You know, look, let's face it, Rich, and, and my, I'm a huge Giant guy, and I think the Giants deserve all the credit, but if the, if the schedule would have been just altered just a bit and the Giants would have had to go to New Orleans, and play down there. I don't think we'd be talking about the Giants as Super Bowl champs. If they ha- if they drew the assignment the Lions did in Week One, you're talking exactly. about exactly the wild card assignment that the Lions drew that short straw. If the Gi- I, you know what, I think you're right. I, I think the matchups all predict, and the Eagles are the classic example. If they're br- if this bracket seated perfectly for them and they get in, they can be as dangerous. And whether they get in as a wild card, whether they get in as the NFC East champions, they can be dangerous. Mm-hmm. But you know that's if. If Michael Vick, if you're an Eagle fan and you don't want to wish anybody to get hurt, but if Michael Vick does miss games, let him miss them in September and October and then get him ready to go the final stretch run of the season and then the Eagles become dangerous. Is Foles going to be a guy, though, that can start and win a game in September? I, I don't think so. I, I think that's part of the problem. I think when they went to Mike Kafka, they, you know, they've invested two years in Mike Kafka, and now I think the realization is, is after one, one preseason game, they realize Nick Foles has the better arm. He's got the better ability to make plays. Will he be ready? By no means will he be ready to compete in the NFC East, especially when Demetrius Bell is your left tackle, and he's going to have to block Jason Pierre-Paul. He's going to have to block DeMarcus Ware, and he's going to have to block Ryan Kerrigan and Brian Rappaport. So that's not an easy, that's not an easy challenge in front of him. And uh, defensively? 
getting D'Amico Ryans in there as the brains of the defense, a lot of people are making a big deal about that. Where, where do you stand on that? I'm not one of those. I think the, I think when your Mike linebacker is slow, your overall defense is slow. And I think that D'Amico Ryans is there because he couldn't run well enough to play for the, the Houston Texans. Now, I think you know coming off the Achilles, the Eagles are saying, look, the glass is half full. We, we're still think he's got another year left. He can play. I've been around enough Achilles in my lifetime. I never see those guys come back with the same speed and zest. I think the Eagles' defense won't be as effective. But the real concern for most Eagle fans isn't where you rank on defense. It's really how you play in the red zone. And the Eagles last year were one of the bottom five teams in the red zone defense, which they were the year before when Sean McDermott was the off, was the defense coordinator and lost his job for it. So really, I think ultimately, you know, the Eagles' concerns from a year to the next year are the same. They really struggle when it gets in the red area. They struggle offensively. They struggle defensively. And we saw it in the Pittsburgh game. We sat there on the couch, and I told you it was like playing PF54, PS54. I mean, they just let them walk in the end zone. What about the Redskins? RG3 make them a better team, and if he has a Cam Newton-type rookie year, do they make the playoffs? I think the Redskins have potential to have a better season. I really think the Redskins – skate away defensively because the two best players, Rappo and, and Kerrigan, uh, really can do some damage. And they have the ability to control the game, and that's a good thing. But the Redskins' offensive line worries you. The lack of depth at running back worries you. But RG3 is a unique player, and he can make some plays. I think the Redskins will be a tough out for everybody as you go forward. But I'm not sure they have enough overall talent to compete. I still think they're the fourth most talented team in the NFC East. I think they'll struggle to really show that. I think Griffin looks like he's got all the poise and the, and the ability to make plays, but I'm not certain that they can turn the tide and they're better, better dealing with those other teams in the East. Well, if Griffin, uh, if Griffin pans out the way that everybody expects him to, what will hold them back? I mean, you well, know, secondary, you know, Rich. I mean, they, they, if they don't, if you can protect against them, which is not an easy endeavor, but you, if you can protect against them, the Giants couldn't last year. Now the Giants lost to them twice because they turned the ball over, and because they couldn't really protect. I think if you can't, if you can protect them, you can attack their secondary. And I mean, look, they're very thin at the safety position. Madhu Williams has really never been a great tackler. Brandon Merriweather has never been a great tackler. So the middle of their defense, really, when you break down the middle of their defense, it's a concern. But here's the here's if you're a Redskin fan, here's what your hope is. Your hope that RG three and with Mike Shanahan's belief, which I think he's always had, that if you can build a league quickly and you can get ahead of people and you can allow Kerrigan and Rappo to rush the passer, you've got a chance to turn some things around. And I think that's gotta be the strategy. The Redskins have to play at a fast break pace. And and how do they do that with uh, score early? I think when you look at the Houston Texans' success, and if you said what's the one area why Houston was so successful from a year ago, you would say very simply they outscored their opponent at the number one or number two rate in the first quarter, and that allowed their best players, whether it was Mario Williams when he was healthy, whether it was Brooks Reed, whether it was Connor Barwin, whomever it was, rushed the passer, and then they could get after it. And Wade Wilson and Wade Phillips could really attack from his pressure package. Getting a lead in the, in the first half is essential if that complements your defense, which it does for the Redskins. And that means find Pierre Garçon, find Fred Davis. And and that means the first 15 for Mike Shanahan every week has got to be perfect. <laughs> that's it, huh? Yeah. That, that's all. Well, who's going to run the ball for them? 
I don't think they. I think RG three will lead the team in rushing. I, I, I would be shocked if he wasn't a five carry guy. I think Roy Halu will be a guy. I think Mike really has taken this. I found uh, Terrell Davis in the six two levels. I'm not sure it's the right levels, but I think he really <laughs> believes he can put anybody in there and gain yards. So, from what I could tell from you, Michael Lombardi, you're not very high on the NFC East. Well, I think the NFC East is a mentally tough division. I think you've got to be really prepared to play it. You better make sure you have a left tackle if you're going to go wander over there. And you better make sure you can block the, the, the edges. But there's, there's teams there that, that are beatable. I mean, look, the, 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 the Patriots beat the, beat, the, beat the Cowboys. They beat the Eagles handily. And they beat the Redskins handily. There's one they team they can't, the Giants they, just, they can't beat the Giants. Isn't that incredible? I mean, they the just matchups. can't. It's all about matchups. And the Gi- and the and when the Giants are able to, if you don't spread the Giants out and you can't protect, that's a problem. So who wins the division? I, I'm going to go on the limb here, and I'm going to say the uh, as much as I've, I beat up on the Eagles, I'm going to go with the Eagles to win the division because they were five and one, and because I think at some point it's going to be so close that I think at the end of December, I think this is going to go down. I think nine and seven, ten and six wins the division, and I think the Eagles, if they're healthy at the end, will win it. Mm. And then that means the Giants don't make the playoffs. Where do you? Where because a lot of people believe that it's you're going to get two teams out of the North, if not three. And if you don't get three out of the North, one may have to come out of the West with two coming out of the South. Do you think two come out of the East? I, I think the East beat each other up so much that I think it's going to be very difficult to, to find that two to get out of there. I think it's going to be really hard to do. I really do. I think that's the problem. I think it's going to be nine and seven. I mean, they beat up on each other so well. But look, the North will do the same thing too. It's it's going to be a challenge. I, I really I really think it's going to be the wild cards are going to come down to, and these games in September. Trust me, we'll be talking about it in December on Total Access and all the shows about how that game in December really hurt the tiebreaking. Mm-hmm. So you'll still go the Eagles. I'm still going to go there, and you'll go you'll go nine nine and seven, ten and six. We'll win it. Yep. All right, Michael Lombardi. We will take that as gospel. We will take that as gospel. Uh, and we'll talk about the Patriots with you on a later podcast when we uh, we break down the AFC East with you, if that be uh, okay. Perfect. All right, hey, while, while we're talking Philly with him real quick, Uh-oh. can we get his thoughts on the uh, the Bynum trade? Uh-oh. He's a big Sixers fan. Yeah, okay, go for it, Lombo. You want to you take your, your your crack at the Bynum trade and all that stuff? Oh, whatever you want to do. I'll, no, go I'll, for I'll it. Yeah, no, go you. for it. No, no, no. Go for it. Yeah, I just wanted to get your what thoughts. You what do you think of, of Oh, you want to do it now? Yeah, yeah, yeah sure. Yeah. Well, look, you know, as a Sixer fan, I, I'm encouraged that they're – I always thought their cell phones didn't work in the building. I was really of the belief that they didn't have phones that were operating because I could never hear a trade rumor coming out of there. Okay. So I, I, I called, the, you know, AT&T. I was concerned about it. And, and then all of a sudden this Bynum trade landed in my lap, and I was relieved. Uh, you know, I, I'm relying on the great Charlie from NFL Network, Yoke. I'm mm-hmm. relying on uh, Jeff Birchfeld. Okay. Okay. Uh, I'm relying on all the guys out there, the basketball bardia, all the basketball junkies out there that watch Bynum on a regular basis, which I don't do, to tell me that he's really a good player. And for to get a great center, to get a great superstar, to not have to give up to me, which was a marquee player, right. I, I think it's a great trade, and I think there'll be there'll be great excitement in Philadelphia for the team. Let's break it down. I I, I think it's all on Collins' shoulder here. I mean, co- coach is going to have to. He's got his hands full. No question. I mean, but and, 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 and I'm I'm assuming Bynum is going to respect him. I I don't know. Listen, I'm 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 sort of a fair weather sort of Laker type observer, but 
when he started hoisting threes after his coach told him to stop and then laughed it off in the media, when you know this is the year after Phil Jackson is gone and maybe you should show a little bit of a leadership role on your team to back your guy, even if he doesn't back you or you feel he's not backing you in practice, to me that was like, uh uh-oh, get him out of here, especially since he's got the weak knees and he's already – but I think he started playing for the Lakers when he was 12, you know, so I, <laughs> well, I don't but, know. You know I, I, the best time, I always believe fear does the work of reason, and I think the best time to get a player is the year he's into his contract. And, and I think the Sixers will benefit, will harvest the benefit from this year, and they can make the decision on where, if they want to keep him, and, and if they feel like he's going to get spoiled by money, because money has a way of spoiling players, coaches, and everyone. So it'll be interesting to see, but I think it was a risk. Look, the, the, they were they couldn't play it safe anymore. They they you know it's, they they kept hitting the one iron down the middle of the fairway, and they couldn't make you know they couldn't get it back to the close to the green. So they finally took the driver out, and I'm going to pull for them. All right, Michael Lombardi. See, with you talking uh, hoops and football in one podcast, you might have thought I was Simmons for a second. <laughs> might have gotten confused. I, I love it. It's all. It's awesome. I know. Oh, I don't You're in confused. demand. You're in demand, Lombo. Oh, I haven't done it. I'm enjoying it. We get to talk football. It's always good. And a little That's basketball has never hurt. I know. You're Sixers. You're wonderful Sixers. All right. We'll, we'll chat with you down the line about the AFCs, Michael. Thanks, Rich. That's yeah, Michael Lombardi on the Rich Eisen Podcast. Boy, Lombo sort of ran the rope-a-dope on me there. He sounded really down about the Eagles. He sounded really down about the Eagles. But he still likes But then he came back win. and had him winning the I division. I know. But I know. At 9 and – what do you say, 9 and Well, seven? I mean, the, Gi- the, the Giants won the division at 9 and 7 a couple of years ago. And or last year, won it in nine and seven, and it was the first time I believe the NFC East in a quarter century had been won with fewer than double digit wins. Really? So for it to happen in uh, in such short order, um, that'd be surprising. I still think they could be the best division in football this year. I think the Redskins are going to be better. The best division in Utba or or in football? Sorry, in Utba. Right. You guys don't like my fantasy commercial. I'm, do you? I'm, no, I don't. I'm just that's a new word of the of the of the lexicon. I like how we got a little uh, a little Upa. little Sixers talk in there with uh, with Lombard. Yeah, I know the Bynum. He's he's a big Sixers guy. I'm a Sixers he's. fan. I know. It's nice to get Bynum. As I was trying to say to him, he's uh, the the first center we've had since T Mac and Todd McCulloch, right? Yeah, the real T Mac, of course. Oh, boy. The real T Mac. But I, that sort of surprised me that he would go the Eagles after sort of singing the the Giants' praises, and then it's uh, so hard to and repeat. Then saying though. how the Eagles that he's really not sold on D'Amico Ryan's being the answer to to running a smoother defense. That's sort of the storyline: is that they lost Stuart Bradley last year. They bring in Ryan's. He's going to be the guy that helped keep all the. The the uh, the defense running all the trains the defensive trains running on time if you will with the wide nine right in front of them and they also drafted Michael Kendricks though who I think could be a little bit of a surprise too. so I mean but uh, all said and done he thinks the Eagles win it and then they're a team that could catch fire that's an interesting point he said that if the Giants had been the three seed oh I've been the uh, pardon me the um, had they, well, that's the whole tough thing is that they, they were the they were the four seed. There was really no way for the Giants and Saints to play each other in the first round. Yeah. Because the Giants were the division winners. The only way for them to have played the Saints is if they were a wild, a wild card. card. And they were, the way that everything was going in the NFC East last year, you were either winning in and there was no wild card coming out of there. But I see his point is that if there was a way where they had drawn the short straw to have to go – to New Orleans and play that team. 
whole different story. In in that place, it would have been a different story. But I, I see I see his point. I don't think the Eagles make the playoffs. I think the Giants and Cowboys come out of that division. I don't know how the Cowboys do. I just don't. I just don't. I just don't see how they how they how the any any weapons on the outside. I need to see Des Bryant catch a ball in the do fourth something. quarter in an end zone. I need to see that. If he can do that, that's a totally different story. If he can become that 10-15 touchdown game game breaker that you have to cover for all four quarters, if he becomes that true major beast of a wide receiver. He's got all the talent in the world. That's it. And if DeMarco Murray stays healthy and they can and he can become a 1200-yard rusher, then I believe it. But I need to see those two things to believe it. And Felix Jones, I just don't believe I'm it. I'm just anymore. not sold on Michael Vick playing a full season. Yeah, and that, I just that, think that's that, my I biggest concern. Why not the being, Giants again? Right. Why not the well, Giants? Well, just again? that whole repeating thing. It's tough. I mean, it's definitely they tough. Don't have to repeat very much. <laughs> well, you know what I mean? I mean, the they made game. it by the made it by I, the skin of their teeth. I think the, I think the skins are going to steal a few in that division, though. They're going to surprise a few people and be able to get a win here. But and I there. think you know, uh, and again, we'll, we'll talk about the the NFC North with with Billick um, next week. Yeah, next I think week. we're gonna, we have that next week. Yeah. I think I think three teams come out of that division. Out of the North, I do. I mean, Chicago's going to be. I do. Dynamic. I think I think you best win the East, South, and West. Does Brian Urlacher's health concern anyone? I don't know. I know this this past week he he underwent the knife and he says he's going to go, but um, I don't know. I, I I obviously that's one thing, but I don't think that's a him being slowed. Right. Um, or eighty eighty percent of an Urlacher is gonna is gonna prevent the Bears from doing what they do. I, I I'm very excited about their offense. Yeah, I think Brandon Marshall has a big. Season. I'm very excited about their offense. Yeah. So I, I whoever wins the East is going. I just don't see you finishing second in the East and still going. I just don't see it. I, I honestly think. If and the, I think the Cowboys six of nine on the road to start. Yeah, it's rough. I mean, if they go, what if they go six of those nine? If they're Five and four after that, I, I'd sign for that right now. And then they finish up at home and try and win eighty percent of those games, and that's how they make the playoffs. If they go six and three in those first nine, then I'm a believer. But the only way that they can do that is Des Bryant going to be that beast? Can he be that? He, we've seen it. We've seen him do it on special teams. We've seen him in the first quarters. We've seen him be. A, we've seen him stretch the field. We've seen him be a red zone threat. We've seen it all. We've just never seen it together in four quarters. On a consistent basis. We've just never really seen that. And Miles Austin is the king of the soft tissue injury of late, ever since he signed that big contract. Usually and then last year, Laurent Robinson came out of nowhere. Who's going to be that guy this year? Yeah, I know Witten's is BFF. I love Romo. I believe in Tony Romo. I really do. Well, it's year two of the Rob Ryan defense, too. So, you know, well, you think Clayborn that... in the back end couldn't cover anybody. We'll yeah. see. I mean, there's lots of holes. I think when uh, when we do, when we're done doing all these team previews, we got to then. You gotta, I want to hear your your pick and what you think is uh, we, Super Bowl predictions. I'll make one well, right now. Let's hope we get there. Yeah, I'll make a Super Bowl pick right now. Sure, Patriots Packers. They're the two best teams in the league, hands down. Well, we'll talk AFC East with Lombo. It's tough to disagree with New England with that coach and that quarterback. Improved defense, same offense, and that tight end. And you could be referring to Stephen Ridley running the ball. I don't know. That doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. But that coach and that quarterback, it's just a big it's just a big difference maker on so and, many. I mean, levels. of course you gotta get lucky too, you know. The, who was the kicker for Baltimore that missed a field goal? Cundiff. 
You got to get lucky too. So well, that only forced overtime. The lucky no. one was was Lee, Lee Evans, Evans getting the ball right. back to knocked away. Well, not lucky. I guess you got to be good sometimes. Lee Evans, who but was un- unemployed Lee Evans, unemployed Lee Evans. Well, that's it, man. Good stuff on the NFC. So you want to give your international shout out of the week, Chris Brock underscore Brockman. I at do. Chris underscore Brockman. At Chris underscore Brockman. You can always tweet at me if you'd yes. like an international shout of the week. This week's international shout of the week to our mates down in New Zealand. Thanks for listening. Our mates New Zealand. Down in New Zealand. Hey, you went Kiwi on us. I did. I'd love to go to New Zealand. What's the latest update on the uh, new shipment of punters or people two shirts coming in? Uh, we what are very close to getting this in a real deal operation. Nice. Getting this thing mainstream and streamlined and very close. Nothing to announce yet. Can't very close. We're very, very close. Can't wait. Excellent. Very, very close. Uh, thank you, guys. Rich, always a pleasure. We thank will you chat before us. you go to Rich. New York next week, correct? Yeah, yeah. we'll get the fantasy guys up here and uh, definitely okay. get on that. Awesome. Adios. Stay listening, friends.